Hello, and welcome to FTI Cybersecurity's podcast series, The Expert Briefing. My name is Jordan Ray Kelly. I'm a Senior Managing Director and Head of Cybersecurity for the Americas based out of Washington, D.C. Throughout this podcast series, FTI experts are discussing the latest issues and trends that are impacting the world of cybersecurity right now. And today's conversation is centered around incident response and managing the crisis. I'm joined by my colleagues, Kate Brader, Patty McGoin, and James Melville-Ross. Hi, I'm Kate Brader. I'm a Managing Director in the EMEA Cybersecurity Practice, and I'm also the COO here, based out of London. Hello, I'm Patrick McGloin. Uh, I'm a Senior Managing Director at FTI Cybersecurity, and I'm based out of London. Hello, my name is James Melvoros. I'm a Senior Managing Director in our Strategic Communications segment at FTI Consulting, and also based out of London. 2020 sure has been an interesting year. Could you guys tell me a little bit about what trends you're seeing in the current climate when it comes to cyber incidents and crisis response? Maybe I'll first ask Kate to give me some of her views on what's happening in the world right now. I've been writing crisis management plans and playbooks for companies for a long, long time. When I first started out, nobody really had a crisis management plan unless they were working in heavy industry. They had some kind of big physical or security threat that they were dealing with. Now crisis management plans are ubiquitous, they're everywhere. In fact, I think I've even written one for a a zoo and a wildlife park at one point. What we're looking at more and more is that people are writing playbooks that are specific to cybersecurity incidents and issues. So I think once again, we've seen an evolution of um, cybersecurity being something that only a few organizations looked at, and now it's something that every organization is concerned with. Do you think that cybersecurity is a key part of having a good crisis response plan or can they really live as separate documents? What do you think about that integration? Is it critical to success? Uh, It really depends on you as an organization, how you're set up. You know, at, at the end of the day, the plan is as good as the team that's implementing it. So it's really about your executive having a great understanding of what they need to do. Um, people that are ready and able to implement it and and ready to kind of live and breathe. And especially in the current circumstances that we have, having a playbook that relies on you all meeting in level four, meeting room A in order to address the response just isn't going to cut it anymore. So it's about making sure that what you had in place as plans and preparations are, are ready to flex and to bend and be principles based for the kind of remote working situations we have right now. Patrick, are you seeing anything that's happening with the world of COVID-19, with the different social justice initiatives across the globe that are impacting crisis and incident response? Yeah, and clearly COVID um, in June 2020, we can't really answer these questions without sort of placing ourselves in context of COVID. From an incident response and crisis perspective, obviously, you know, the susceptibility in society to incidents, um, the, the stretch that actually exists to respond to them and to be able to manage them. You know, the increased difficulties about remote working can present challenges as to how people not only manage a, 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 a cyber crisis, which can be testing at the best of times, but as actually in this environment, plans and the resilience of organisations are really testing. I guess the... Um, you know, in terms of the impacts that we're seeing, what's quite interesting? Well, actually, in terms of the threats that we're seeing, firstly, um, you know, the, the, the rising tide of COVID-inspired phishing is well documented. Um, but it's quite interesting, the, the other associated 
compromises and types of threats. I'd highlight three. You know, firstly, the business email compromise risk, which um, has been a mainstay of problem of, of many organisations for a long time. That's really increased, and we've seen sort of a, a, an evolution of threat actors to focus on on COVID as a topic. Secondly, I think the the, the cloud experience as we face a future of increased digitization, compromise of of cloud and digitized infrastructure, that's increasing an area that, that we see entities struggling with uh, and being impacted and around because their reliance on those infrastructures is just that much greater. And then lastly, um, the, the, the ransomware threat. Whilst you know the, the, the numbers are actually interesting for the first half of 2020, um, most commentators outlined that the number of ransomware cases have has actually reduced but their impact has actually increased as the the threat actors mutate and actually uh, try to force and exert pressure on those entities so long of the short i think the the point is uh, under the current circumstances cyber incidents um because they they're dependent on the threats those threats are really evolving uh, in themselves they're innovating um, uh, under the impetus of COVID as to how they attack and breach organizations. That's really helpful and insightful. Thanks, Patty. So James, what are you seeing on the global scale when it comes to trends in this current climate? I would point to the risk of compound crises. Obviously, I'm mostly interested in this topic from the point of view of reputation. And um, Companies, I think, are vulnerable at the moment because there has been a huge amount of management resource placed on the COVID issue. Um, and I think there's a risk that maybe vulnerability assessments get put on hold, maybe that crisis simulations don't get run while everybody is, is so focused on this particular topic. Um, as Paddy has already explained, you know, there are significantly greater risks to organisations at the moment from a, from a cyber perspective. And, and we know, obviously, that bad actors thrive in, a, in crisis moments. And just because you're having in the middle of having one issue doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you're not going to face another. I, th I think there's a risk there for companies that aren't thinking about how they deal with another crisis on top of the existing crisis that everybody is going through. I think I'd also point a little bit to the, the vulnerability of CEOs' reputation being hit quite hard um, and then becoming a significant lightning rod for media attention. Um, I think CEOs probably need to think about reviewing their online presence, their networks, their connections, their vulnerabilities. What could an investigative journalist easily discover to add colour to an article, for example? What vulnerabilities could be exploited by hackers to add further embarrassment? I think there's a number of uh, topics there that um, CEOs who are not thinking about probably should be. Thank you, James. That's a great point. And as you were providing those insights, I couldn't help but think about the fact that it's very interesting. Our three guests today are all based in the UK, but a lot of what you're seeing in terms of global trends, because of the topic of cybersecurity, they're very consistent across the globe and across each region, because everything you all described are very similar to the trends that we're seeing here in the United States as well, and also in our other regions where we're doing cybersecurity work. I'd like to talk a little bit about what organizations can do now to get ready for the potential of a cyber incident crisis and how they can ensure that their preparedness has integrated all of the different things that we think are really critical to achieve the best success you can have in the wake of a cyber incident. Patrick, can you tell me a little bit about that? 
moving forward, we need to be alive that, that of the, 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 the life cycle of a cyber-induced crisis um, and you know, how, how that progresses from the immediate operational needs through to the period where there's actually sort of secondary and tertiary crises that materialize and you know particularly for a company like ourselves we're involved a lot in helping clients not only face the immediate operational issues but also think through those secondary and tertiary issues about regulatory impact and increasingly the litigation that comes out of cyber incidents which is a global phenomenon uh, and is in, it seems to be gathering speed whether clients that are affected but also investors that are moving towards litigation or, or class action i think it's quite interesting on a recent event we're supporting a global entity that suffered a ransomware um, there was a tendency in that immediate immediate period after the event to to descend very much into the operational sphere and for their management actually to lose focus a little bit losing focus as to what those secondary and tertiary impacts might be. But also um, because they focus so much on the operational issues of the communications, the forensics and the IT, um, they also hampered themselves by not thinking through who the threat was and actually how the threat might exert increased pressure on the group beyond the immediate moment. So. For me, I think it's really important that the senior management team need to have a slightly longer view uh, and allow the space and the council for those immediate uh, crisis teams, those operational teams, communications, IT, forensics and whatnot, to get on with their specific tasks, but to have the bigger picture as to the potential impacts around regulation, around uh, uh, potential even litigation, as well as an understanding of who they're, they're dealing with, the nature of the threat. That's a really great point. James, I know you spend a lot of time working with organizations to make sure that they have their crisis preparedness plans ready to go. What are some of the first things that you ask those organizations to do when you go in and help them go down that road of getting prepared for an incident? One of the first things that you need to work out is, you know, it's a bit like steps of a ladder dealing with a crisis situation and the breach itself is only the first rung you've got to think about where it's going to go in terms of uh, you know internal employee interest customers cutting off relationships media interest uh, and then obviously as paddy says regulatory and uh, potential potentially legal interest as well so that escalation plan is, is essential as a, as a first point secondly you know these plans have got to be integrated they've got to be holistic uh, we often say information is oxygen in a crisis so it's not just about having the right plans in place it's also about having uh, you know the, the right source of information coming into the business we have seen in the past too many organizations in the moment of a cyber breach be hobbled by not understanding what exactly has happened and not having the right lines of communication inside the business from the extremities of the business to the core to be able to make a proper statement. So uh, it ends up being uh, death, by, death by a thousand cuts in terms of the, um, in terms of the crisis response. Um, and the third thing I mentioned, I think, as I've, as I've alluded to already, the, the, uh, the, the need to layer on plans for another incident occurring at the same time. Um, if that happens, uh, are you going to use the same crisis response team that you've got for your cyber incident on whatever that might be 
um, you know, do they have the bandwidth, the resource to be able to cope with it? So just thinking a little bit laterally about, uh, about how these crises get dealt with will save a lot of time in the moment of impact. That's really helpful. And I think it's one point you made that's very interesting is integrating the right team members. Kate, could you talk a little bit about how you can ensure that technical and cybersecurity practitioners have the right skills and knowledge to respond in the event of a crisis? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, but unfortunately, it's a, a sometimes, you know, a, a theme that, that crops up that um, you, you can have part of your executive team that's responding to an incident, um, not really well versed in, in what they might need to do around a cyber incident, not particularly well versed in everything to do with the language that's used, um, you know, how, how to engage or, or understanding really how the event as Paddy described could continue to unfold. You know, it's, it's kind of an all new world for them. Um, the other challenge that you might have as well is that the, the kind of more technical parts of the business that are leading the response perhaps aren't ready to look at the response or lead the response through the eyes of the business. Um, I found, you know, in several incidents that I've been involved with, the CIO and CISO have to step up and take quite a prominent role, not necessarily externally, but almost always internally leading the business and talking to the business about what's happening, leading their teams more than anything, you know, motivating those people that are working the 24 hour shifts to respond to something. And it's perhaps a leadership role that they haven't been prepared for and working to engage people um, in those kind of roles, thinking, you know, beyond your CEO, your head of communications who might be involved in a crisis, who else might be needed to, who else might need to be prepared to lead a crisis is, is a worthwhile exercise now. James's point as well about the compound crises, I think, is a pertinent one, you know, you'd look at on the ground teams in any kind of emergency situation. If you've got people on standby, as soon as an incident happens, you send half of them home to bed if you think you're gonna to have to work through the night and you, you send the other half in to deal with the problem. Similarly with executive teams, we've taken exactly the same approach. You, you get the people that you need to handle the immediate task and look at the immediate response, but you have a separate team that's already thinking about what next, thinking about the rebuild, the recovery, the, the follow-on strategy after this incident is over. And that's a worthwhile exercise if you have the resources to do it. That's a great point. And I think that integration topic is really key. I know that when I have done crisis and cyber incident preparedness for different organizations, one question I often like to ask if we have a room full of different stakeholders from an organization, so people from the communications team, people from the general counsel's office, people from the executive suite, I'll often say, who is the final decision maker in the event of a cyber incident? And all hands in the room will typically go up. One specific topic that I often like to pull out and see exactly how they think they'll respond is whether or not an organization is willing to pay the ransom in the event of a ransomware attack. And often the leaders from the IT department will think that that is a decision that's going to be left in their hands Whereas many other stakeholders think that that is a decision that they are going to have the opportunity to weigh in on the board of directors, the CEO, the president of the organization. And so these are questions that are really helpful to have already thought through well before you're faced with a live cyber incident. I'll leave Paddy to elaborate on, you know, the ins and outs of ransomware a bit more because I know that's a real area of expertise for him. But I wonder if there's a, a sort of a theme here that 
a lot of businesses and organizations looked at things around payments of ransom again looking at it from physical security incidents looking at it through the lens of kidnapping and uh, and those kind of unusual events and and again this is an in, uh, an instance where the world has changed the world has evolved and what you might need to do to pay a ransom around a cybersecurity incident the questions the considerations you might have to do are, are different but perhaps that policy or that thought process hasn't evolved since those principles were set in place. I think that's a really interesting point, Kate. Um, and the whole legality of actually paying ransomware is a very uh, interesting one, which I think whether it's for, you know, a digital malware ransomware or, or the release of hostages elsewhere, the legalities which a company could put itself under I think is uh, increasingly important, bearing in mind proceeds of criminal acts in, in, in the UK and similar legislation across Europe and elsewhere. I think James's point, though, around the layered approach and the compound risk is really well made and is really, really important thinking about the future. Um, we only have to look at the evolution over the last really six months or so as to how ransomware operates. Uh, and the different types of crises just ransomware has uh, promulgated. If I think of some of the cases I've been involved in, they've gone from being an extortion case through to uh, as the, the extorters, the ransomware group, seek to exert pressure into actually a data disclosure situation where those groups have actually posted online volumes of data in order to force through and embarrass their victims to pay money. All of a sudden you've moved from a very sort of operational issue into a different regulatory framework. The impact on clients, customers and third parties changes significantly. And you've got two running crises effectively, all coming from the same thing. In a similar vein, we've seen lots of ransomware entities actually provide piggyback or repeat attacks on entities where they've gone in, they've uh, encrypted and demanded a ransom, uh, and that has actually not been a one-off. They've had repeat uh, uh, incidents where they've looked to, to, to do this. That's just in the technical field, um, and I think that there are a lot of uh, similar issues when you start getting into those secondary and tertiary areas, which James and Kate have alluded to, around the crisis, where actually the, the, the compound risk of a singular event all of a sudden escalates in terms of reporting uh, with regulators, potentially litigation components, internals as well as externals. And I think the, the layered approach which James alluded to is really, really important as organisations think about their future and ensuring that they've got a level of resilience against similar crises which seem to be increasing. Patty, that's a great point. And you've really opened the door to talk about that concept of long-term resilience. When we think about cybersecurity threats, we often think that being impacted by an event is often inevitable. What are some of the traits that we see in organizations that come out on the other side and be just as successful, if not more successful? James, are there some characteristics that those organizations have in common? Yeah, I think um, Paddy alluded to it earlier when he made the point around cloud infrastructure, email com compromise and, and the like. Um, there isn't a business that exists today that won't have digitization as a major part of its strategy. Um, and obviously digitization provides huge benefits uh, in terms of productivity, flexibility, margin improvement. 
um, but uh, but great challenges also, um, as as Paddy's explained. Um, you know, greater exposure, more points of weakness, and, and the like. Um, I think actually the lockdown has probably been quite a good dress rehearsal for companies in this in this respect for this to prepare for this long term future reality. Um, and I think also that generally the media regulators, investors, and the like have been pretty sympathetic to companies. Um, you know slightly stumbling in some of their efforts to get get it right uh, in the first flush of the lockdown. Um, that isn't going to last long term. So I think, uh, you know, businesses really need to take advantage of some of the lessons they've learned from lockdown and apply them to how they think about uh, their, their digital strategies for the future and also the exposures that that uh, inevitably will bring. Thanks very much, James. Kate, can you talk about what you think that organizations need to do to build that long term resilience? Yeah, thanks, Jordan. I think adding on to that, um, you know, the transformation is, is going to accelerate, it's going to happen a lot faster than any of us probably had planned for. And with that, companies need to, to take the opportunity to reassess what their business priorities are. There isn't an incident that I've been through where we haven't been making it up on the fly what the recovery list was. Um, a lot of companies have business continuity teams, they have business continuity plans in the hundreds, but we need to take a bit more of a, a fresh approach at, at how we do that, make it principles based, make sure everybody has a really firm understanding of what the organization's priorities are, what they need to do to deliver. But in particular, to James's point, make sure that is built on the new foundation of, of a digital business. Um, and once we understand that and we have a better picture of that, it makes that road to recovery after an incident so much faster. But it's not an easy exercise. You know, we, we have whole teams of business continuity people, hundreds of plans. Um, I think I would pivot to an approach that's principles based and firmly rooted in what the business actually does and what it delivers. Thanks, Kate. I've seen a lot of similar attributes in organizations to what you're saying, these teams that exist to achieve these goals that are somewhat undefined in the moment. But I think one thing that I would say is we've talked a lot about digitization and opportunities to advance in a world that's somewhat undefined. One real key item of success that I've seen in a number of organizations is really embracing the issues that they've encountered and being willing to be on the world stage as an innovator in those cybersecurity focus areas. So being willing to go to conferences and saying, we made a mistake and this is what we learned from it. This is what we changed going forward. That's been something that I've seen in organizations that have really been able to bounce back in a way that's taken them to a level far greater than you might've expected in the wake of a major cyber crisis. I started off in a, a boutique crisis management firm and the whole premise of that firm was that the boss went through a major incident 40 years ago and he didn't handle it particularly brilliantly by his own admission. But when he came back and they came through the other side of it, everybody wanted to hear from him, hear from his experiences about it. And he successfully bought and sold two companies off the back of those experiences and what he developed as a result. So I think it's, it's a real point, Jordan, about continually learning and developing from it. I think there's a... Um... There's a bottom line to that as well. I think COVID bizarrely, or the ability rather than just COVID to demonstrate resilience and openness and to be able to not only embrace, but adapt as we move into this world where all firms are now digital. I think that that resilience actually is a value add and actually can uh, demonstrate a level of trust and reliability 
to clients and investors in and around. And there's enough anecdotal information that's coming out of, for example, Cambridge University, uh, a workshop on the economics of security that just illustrates the handling of cyber incident crises uh, and the openness and uh, the ability to demonstrate learning and foster trust uh, in the face of adversity, actually how that can improve and assist bottom lines in a real way. Thanks, Patty. I think that's a great point and I appreciate you guys adding on those insights. This has been a really fascinating conversation here today. I know the topic of cyber incident response is something we could go on for hours about, but you guys have done an excellent job drilling down into some finer points that I think organizations can really benefit from as they think about getting themselves and their colleagues ready to respond to cyber crises. So thank you very much to my colleagues, Kate, James, and Patrick for joining us today. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you won't miss out on future episodes. And if you want to know more about what we do here at FTI Cybersecurity and how we help build a resilient future for clients, please reach out to me or any of today's guests via the FTI website. Mm -hmm.